Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We already have a woman reporter. That's what Judy Woodruff was told when she sought her first reporting job at ABC, a time when it was rare to see women covering any news, much less politics. But Woodruff quickly went on to do both for NBC, CNN, and the PBS NewsHour, where she, along with the late Gwen Ifill, became the first female co-anchor team of a U.S. network broadcast. After 50 years covering presidents, moderating presidential debates, and becoming a trusted media figure, Woodruff stepped down as NewsHour anchor last month. She joins us to talk about what's next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Just to be clear, Judy Woodruff is not retiring, but she did sign off as anchor of the PBS NewsHour just a couple weeks ago on December 30th. Woodruff has been a leading television journalist in a career that spanned five decades, making a name for herself covering Jimmy Carter's presidential campaign at a time when few women were given the chance to cover politics. She's covered every president since, moderated presidential debates, and guided us through our nation's biggest moments. Welcome to Forum, Judy Woodruff. Oh, Mina, thank you so much. I'm delighted to to join with you today. And thank you for making the distinction between retiring and saying goodbye <laughs> to the anchor desk, because I'm getting so many messages from people saying, congratulations on your retirement. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'm glad we could do that. I I actually want to play a little of your final sign-off, your final goodbye as the anchor of the NewsHour for our listeners. I step away now with a heart full of gratitude for the singular opportunity to share the most critical stories of our time. And as we say every evening, and that is the NewsHour for tonight, I'm Judy Woodruff. For all of us at the PBS NewsHour, thank you. Please stay safe, and we'll see you soon. I was just curious, Judy, when I watched that, how that felt to deliver your last sign off. Well, it was on the one hand, Mina, it was overwhelming because they didn't really tell me much about what they had planned. They said, we're going to have a little video and there are going to be a few people in the studio. It turned out to be my family, my husband, my daughter, grandson. And um, so it was very sweet and, and kind of overwhelming. Um, but I, had, I think I think as I reflect on it, I think I was stealing myself uh, to get ready for that night because I even though I'm, I'm so excited about the project uh, to come, the thing I'm working on now, and I know we're going to be talking about that over the hour, but uh, even though I'm very excited about that, it is a, it is a moment. Um, it's a moment to say thank you, to say goodbye uh, as anchor, but also to say thank you for the opportunity and thank you to the audience for being, um, you know, frankly, watching the news hour and following the news hour and following PBS 
over all these years. And of course, they'll continue to do that. But um, but it's a chance to say that to people who've been, you know, who I think I said some version of this in my remarks. They've trusted us with delivering the news every day. And that's a that's not something to be taken lightly. And I was just I was really very focused on wanting to say thank you to our audience. Mm, yeah. And, and it's true. The news hour has consistently been been voted or declared in surveys as one of the most um, trusted news news organizations, um, news sources. I do want to ask you, though, why you did decide it was time to stop anchoring. Well, it's something that I, it, it didn't happen all at one time, but I've been thinking about it for a few years. You know, what is the right time? I obviously am not going to do this into my 90s. <laughs> Although, you know, I maybe somebody- <laughs> You thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> You know the broadcasting business. Uh, no, but seriously, I thought, all right, what is the right time? And there was no perfect time. Clearly, the, you know, losing my longtime friend and co-anchor Gwen Eiffel in 2016 was jarring, and and then I became the single anchor after that. And I had been anchoring, frankly, the program in one form or another since 2011 when Jim Lehrer retired. And so I looked at the calendar and I thought, do I want to do this? until the next presidential election, or do I want to give my colleagues the opportunity, the chance to, to get their feet on the ground, to get their feet wet, if you will, and, and step aside. And I ultimately decided that was right, that the 2022, the end of the 2022 midterms, that the end of this, this past year was the right time. The, and the and, um, very important for me, that I wanted to have the energy and the health, good health uh, that I have, thankfully, to continue reporting. And I had decided some time ago, I really wanted to look at, you know, why we are so divided in this country politically and why the divisions seem to grow deeper and they, they're so personal. And again, we can talk about that, but, but that was a factor too. Mina, I really wanted to be able, I, I wanted to step aside at the anchor desk when I still had the energy and the enthusiasm uh, to do this project. And I very much do. Yeah, this project America at a crossroads, uh, which will be what you'll be presenting as segments for PBS NewsHour. But tell us about that. Tell us about why this was something that you felt like was the question you really needed to examine, and, and how you are going to do that. Well, the why is that I've been covering American politics since 1970, when I was hired as a, as a local reporter at the CBS affiliate in Atlanta to cover the Georgia state legislature, Georgia politics, and Atlanta politics. And you can imagine that was a time of a whole lot of turmoil. Vietnam War was raging. Um, we were very much still in the throes of the civil rights movement in the South. Um, I was covering a, a state legislature with, you know, very, very tiny minority uh, black uh, members in the House and the state House and Senate. But they were um, vocal. They were uh, uh, they were advocates, uh, loud advocates, thankfully, for the causes that they were uh, uh, pushing uh, as legislators. There were issues in the city of Atlanta 
And it was, and, and so it was, I'm trying to say, it was a divided time in American history. But today, over the years, I covered, ended up coming to Washington to cover the Jimmy Carter administration. Of course, he was governor. He was elected governor the year I became a reporter mm-hmm. in Atlanta. I covered his campaign for governor. And then, of course, four years, five years later, he's running for president. And by then, I had just joined NBC, and I lobbied NBC, and I said, please, let me cover the Carter campaign. Of course, I was brand new. I couldn't have been greener as a reporter than I was, but I did have those connections with the Carter people, and and I was able to make the argument successfully that they should put me on the campaign, which they did for a little while, and then, of course, they took me off because the you know, the senior correspondents uh, take precedence, but it was it was still an opportunity. And then when he won, uh, I lobbied again and they agreed to send me to the White House. And that was 1977. So I come to Washington and and yes, there were Democrats, Republicans. And then four years later, Carter's defeated by Ronald Reagan. I covered the Reagan administration the first few years of that. Go to the Today Show, then decide to leave. And without giving you the whole history, I've been in Washington ever since. I've covered Democrats, Republicans. There have been disagreements, debates. But it does seem today that we are much more personal in our disagreements. You know, you, you know of families where people can't even sit together over Thanksgiving dinner, can't even tolerate to be in the same room with one another. Neighbors are angry at neighbors. School board meetings have become fights. You put it all together, and we I think we are in a different era and I really want to understand why and a lot of it's in Washington a lot of it's in the media but I want to talk to the American people about it so I plan to travel around the country um, produce reports for the news hour that will initially air every other week starting in February but then eventually we'll go to once a week and I'll be interviewing ordinary Americans literally across the country places we don't normally hear from and um, interviewing also experts, political scientists, sociologists, psychologists, educators, people who've written and thought deeply about this because I want their voices to be heard as well. So it's a big, ambitious project, and we're just getting started. Yeah, it's a it's a nice description of where we are as a country. I'm wondering what your working theories are as to how we got to this point of being so divided. Well, I will tell you, Mina, we've been speaking um, in kind of back-to-back interviews over the phone and by Zoom in the last several days, my producer and I, with political scientists and other sociologists who've studied this, and there are a lot of different theories about why, about what's happened. Um, and it, it, uh, some of it has to do, frankly, with race in America and our history of race relations, um, uh, the, the treatment of black Americans and how the civil rights movement played into that and the modern today's civil rights movement in the aftermath of uh, uh, George Floyd's death. And then and you add to that the, um, you know, the in, uh, growing um, economic inequality in our country. You add in the role of the news media and especially social media hmm. in recent years. Um, you look at, you have to look at where, and I'm not doing a very good job of encapsulating all this because there's so many different, different threads, but you have to look at how, uh, what, what used to be considered electoral arguments over issues from taxes to, uh, foreign policy to, oh, and abortion, of course, which is today still an, a, a raw issue in our country. At some point they became more cultural, 
issues. And, and that, I would say that happened probably in the, in the early nineties with Newt Gingrich moving into the role of speaker of the house um, and, and, and other figures in American politics. And then along, and then once we had what we call the culture wars over abortion and school choice, um, along comes Ronald, Donald Trump and, and his, view uh, sort of, you know, as a Republican, but also as someone who spoke to many people who were feeling disenfranchised, not heard, not listened to, not respected by Washington for a whole lot of reasons, which we can go into. But it became a mix of, of anger and resentment and just alienation. And mm -hmm. I think uh, Donald Trump was able to speak to that. Uh, and it's the reason it propelled him to win the, the election in 2016. And that has continued to this day. And, and he's become obviously a very controversial figure, but he does have still a very loyal following. Uh, but he's also managed to be part of a great division now in the Republican Party. And I'm curious to know how much of that is at the local level. I mean, how much of that is what we're watching in D.C. and how much of it is happening in states and cities across the country. And some of that, believe me, the political scientists have done a lot of work on this. And so we've got a, a rich field to explore here. A, a very rich field. And I'm struck by the way that you are describing that very rich field of study as well. We're talking with Judy Woodruff, former anchor of the PBS NewsHour, whose upcoming project, America at a Crossroads, is what we were just discussing. What do you want to ask or say to Judy Woodruff? You can email forum at kqed.org, post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Today, if you can tell by the music, we're talking with Judy Woodruff, who just stepped down as the sole anchor of the PBS NewsHour to focus on reporting on America's divisions. And you, our listeners, are sharing your thoughts and questions for Judy Woodruff. And Julia writes, we will miss Judy Tremendously. And Mai Jarawala writes, oh, a name that I recognize as someone who co-hosted Forum, a high school student during Youth Takeover. Mahi writes, she is truly a legend. 
And Susan writes, during my first pregnancy, I needed an artful and informative outlet while on bed rest. Judy Woodruff did that for me. Thanks for sharing that, Susan. What, besides wanting to ask or say to Judy Woodruff, would you say is the major event that Judy Woodruff walked you through? You can also share that by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or by calling 866-733-6786. Michael asks, Judy, what is the biggest change in journalism that Ms. Woodruff has seen in 50 years? For me, it has been how journalists have changed from being neutral reporters to being advocates for a point of view. What would you say is the biggest change in journalism that you've seen? Well, Mina, I think it's it's a combination of things. Number one, I do, I absolutely agree, more journalists today are comfortable uh, expressing their views than in the past. I was trained in the school, I guess you call it the Walter Cronkite school, where reporters are expected to keep their views um, out of their reporting. I, my first producer, uh, when I was working at that uh, CBS affiliate local station in Atlanta back in the 70s, his main advice to me was, he looked at me, he said, you know, nobody really cares what Judy Woodruff thinks. We want you to go out. And uh, I mean, he used stronger language. I think he said nobody <laughs> gives a damn what Judy Woodruff thinks. But he said, I just you're just to go out and report the news. You, you go whether it's the state capitol or city hall or whatever, you know, bring us the information. And that's what you report. And, and as someone who had not taken a single course in journalism, Mina, I studied political science. I thought I could figure out reporting pretty quickly. But of course, I learned that there are things to learn about it. I frankly, I was so fortunate to have wonderful colleagues who, who taught me so much then and then over the years. Uh, but, but what that producer said to me was, I think, is still true to this day. My view is that people don't really care what I think I'm here to report. And that fortunately fit perfectly with the mission of the news hour. Uh, and I love the music you just played, which started out with the music from the McNeil Lehrer uh, Report, which of course was the half hour program that Jim Lehrer and Robert McNeil did starting in 1975 after they had anchored the Watergate hearings together. Uh, PBS asked Robin to put a half hour program on the air. He did, and he brought in his pal, Jim Lehrer, and it quickly became the two of them. And then, and then what, eight years later, they they lobbied to go to a full hour and that's when I joined. Um, but it yeah. was their mantra. We're here to report. We're here to tell you what's happening and to help you understand it, to put some, um, some context to it, um, to, to give you the historical background as appropriate. And, and then you make up your mind. And that was exactly who I was and the kind of journalism I wanted to do. So yes, there's been a change. The other change I would say, frankly, is technology. Because when I started out, there were three television networks, the PBS, and, and of course, major newspapers around the country doing phenomenal work. And today, newspapers have all but collapsed, except for the major newspapers we know of, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and a few others. But most of them are struggling mightily. And technology, I mean, news, people pick up their news now on their handheld smartphone device on their watch <laughs> they're uh, they're looking at their wrist and it's getting the news there or in an earpiece it's just it's miniaturized it's instant and there are deadlines that are constant when a reporter finds something out they're expected to be an expert on it immediately uh, so the 
technology has changed it for the better and for the worse. Yeah, Judy, as you were talking about what's changed and telling that story about the producer, I remember reading it, how that producer said to you, nobody gives a damn what Judy Woodruff thinks when you go out to cover a story. They want to know what you learned. It sounds like you you think they're still right. And the only reason that I, I ask you that is because I know increasingly we're accepting the idea that even what we choose to share of what we learned, right, what we decide is worth reporting to our audience, um, is infused by our own experiences and identities. And, and I'm wondering if you feel like, you know, that idea that you could cover something and that how you report it is neutral, that we've been in, uncovering that as as truly not realistic, if you agree with that or not. Well, I do. I, I, and over time, I've, I've come to understand absolutely that we as reporters we're not ciphers, we're not machines, um, which actually interestingly brings up the whole issue of AI, which, you know, there's so much focus and attention <laughs> on right now. But we're not, we're not machines. We're human beings. We are the sum total of our experiences. I'm a, a woman. I'm a, I'm a mother, a grandmother. I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was raised as an army brat, lived all over the world growing up, spent my high school years in Georgia. Um, went to college in North Carolina. So I'm the sum total of all of those things, working in Atlanta, being in Washington for 40 plus years. Um, all of those things are part of who I am. And I now understand better than I certainly than I did as a, as a young green reporter that that inevitably is going to affect my view of what's important, of, of, um, of just understanding the news um, and, and I get that. And I think it's and, and I, of course, have come around to understand how important it is that we have journalists from all different backgrounds reporting the news that it's you know, we can't all be we can't all have Judy Woodruff's background or Mina Kim's background. I mean, we need a mixture. We should look like and 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 be like America. That's the way. I mean, how else do we hold up a mirror to the country unless yeah. we have some experience in our own background? But it is there is a kind of a fine line there, because at what point do we represent or reflect, I should say? And then at what point does that become advocacy? And I think a number of, of my colleagues uh, have decided that they you know, that they feel the advocacy is part of their mission as journalists and, and shining a light on, um, on stories and on um, developments in our country um, that reflect one point of view or another. I think I'm an absolute believer in shining that light and making sure people know everything that's going on, but I think we need to do it. We need to do it across, across the board and, and crossing that line into advocacy is a, is a, for me, it's, it's not the way to go. I think there's a role for advocacy journalism. There is, I'm not saying we shouldn't have it, and, but, but those reporters should be clearly, uh, or those, I should say, essayists, columnists, commentators, they should be labeled as uh, commentators. I mean, just as the news hour on Friday nights, we asked David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart, who of course followed after Mark Shields, you know, they represent a point of view and they reflect their point of view and we label it as such. Um, but but the, on any given night, the stories we do are 
are reflecting the kind of you know reporting that we're doing. But it is a subject worth talking about, Mina, because um, you know we are called every day on and we're called on to make decisions about what we what do we put on the air, what do mm. we give airtime to, and what do we yes. leave out, and those are all editorial decisions. All all editorial decisions, yes. Amy writes, I was very moved by her last show and her well-deserved tribute and really thrilled about her next venture. It's so critical. I can't think of a better person to explore and investigate the searing divide in our country. We desperately need unity in order to function, much less thrive, from public leadership in our Congress and state legislatures, legislatures, our schools, all the way down to person to person on the street. Congratulations, Judy. And thanks for the show. It's an interesting point in terms of your approach to journalism, maybe being the way to get at stories that are across the kinds of divisions that we do see. I do want to ask you about the changes for the better in journalism in the sense that the stories of when you were starting out, I mean, the sexism was just incredible, Judy. Um, when, when you talk yeah. about trying to get a job at an ABC affiliate in Atlanta, your very first job as a secretary in the newsroom, can you tell that story? <laughs> well, it was, um, as I mentioned before, I had not studied journalism. I had majored in, or I actually started out in math because I love math, but quickly found out that instead I was fascinated with political science. And that, that actually, you know, there's a sexism element to that because I had a, I had an instructor my freshman year. I started at a small woman's college in Raleigh, North Carolina called Meredith and happened to have a, a freshman year calculus instructor who was a graduate student at another college who he was teaching a room full of maybe, I don't know, 15 women taking calculus. And I think he essentially thought we didn't have any business <laughs> studying advanced math. And, and he, he couldn't have made it less interesting than he did. And, and there was no willingness to, you know, to work with us, to, to make it exciting or interesting. But meanwhile, I was taking a course in political science with a professor uh, there who loved politics and political science. She, you know, she was just, uh, I mean, just off the charts in terms of her excitement. And it was contagious. And, and, and I made the decision that first year, really into my second year in college, that I was going to switch majors uh, to political science. And so much of it had to do with my professor or professors <laughs> and their interest and, frankly, their treatment of women. She took the women in the class seriously. She was a woman herself. But then move ahead a few years, I transferred to Duke. I worked in Washington as an intern for my congressman from Georgia. I love my time on Capitol Hill. I wanted to come right back as soon as I graduated and get a job. But the women I met on Capitol Hill said to me, oh, no, you really don't want to do that. You'll be a gopher. You'll be getting coffee for somebody. Work somewhere else and then come to D.C., maybe. So I went back to college, Duke, my senior year, and I was sharing this with professors, trying to figure out what in the world was I going to do. And I had one professor who said to me, do you ever think about journalism and about covering politics? And, I, and, and, and it was a course in, in politics and mass media. So it was natural that he would say this, but it was almost as if a light bulb went off. So I immediately started exploring, okay, what jobs could I get? And of course, I hadn't written for the Duke 
a newspaper, the Chronicle. I hadn't done any kind of reporting um, and had no background. And I thought, I'm not going to get a job for a newspaper because I haven't done any writing like that. But I thought maybe I can get a job in television. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought, uh, you know, I don't know what, what my, where my brain was, but I thought maybe, and I was of course paying attention to television news, but I thought maybe they would hire me and they wouldn't pay attention to the fact that I hadn't done any, any writing. And, um, and I thought, okay, I'll get a job at an entry level. Well, of course, what did that job turn out to be? The only job I could even, I wrote a bunch of stations and outlets and was told and, and, and basically didn't get an answer from most of them. But one news director um, told me he would meet with me. Actually, several did. But he was the one who, when I went to see him spring break of my senior year, had, you know, I went and, and had this session where we sat down in the lobby of the station, the ABC station in Atlanta, and we had a good conversation. He was very impressed that I had taken Russian, <laughs> was taking the Russian language course, and that I was majoring in political science. And he said, you know, I think, you know, he said, I really could use, uh, you know, we need a secretary in the newsroom. And and so he hired me. And, and of course, it was a job to get coffee <laughs> and to answer the phone. But what he said as I got up to leave was, I said, thank you so much, Mr. Conover. I really appreciate this opportunity. He said, of course, how could I not hire somebody with legs like yours? Hmm. And then I, I just did a complete double take and uh, all but sort of mentally collapsed. I, you know, I, I, I'd like to tell you that I had a very clever comeback, but what, I think I just kind of shrugged <laughs> and, yeah. and mumbled, oh, thank you, and walked out the door. I, I remember walking out the, the door of the lobby thinking, okay, this is where we are. And I didn't put, I wasn't smart enough to put it all together, but as you think about it, Women were not so welcome in math. They were not so welcome in American politics. This was 1968. And we were considered, um, frankly, tokens in, in, in journalism. There weren't, weren't many women covering politics in print or television or radio, for that matter. Um, and I was, I was there in the very, very, not the very beginning, but close to the beginning. It was just at a time when stations were beginning to think about hiring women. But yeah, that was, that was the comment made right out in the open. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, of course, along the way, you talk about, you know, the tokenism. And even though you knew Jimmy Carter, for example, really well, the senior reporters, once he was a serious candidate, suddenly you got bumped down from, from your coverage of him. There were just lots of moments like that that you talk about. And I wondered, Judy, did the sexism just ever get you down? Did, did you think about it just being too much? You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. And I, as I reflected on it, I think I was just so driven <laughs> to get closer to politics. I was still even, you know, even, even starting out, as I mentioned, as a secretary in the newsroom. And then a year and a half later, I was hired as a reporter uh, at the CBS station in Atlanta. Um, I think I was just so focused on getting a job, covering politics, being around politics, that I didn't think so much about it. And it's interesting because it was right on the cusp of the women's movement. I mean, you know, the 19th, early 1970s, Gloria Steinem, there was so much going on, the bra burning, they, ca they called it. Um, and the, I guess there actually was some of that. Um, I was more focused on the on the journalism piece 
than I was so much on women. I was discouraged. I mean, there's no question. The advice that I got from my women, the women friends I had on Capitol Hill, and this was 1967, they were saying to me, don't waste your time coming to Washington. You just, and, and they were reflecting their own experiences, some of them, not all of them. And thankfully not all of them gave up. I mean, they kept going and kept pushing. Um, but I think honestly, Mina, the only way to get through that was to just keep pushing, keep pushing. Because if you allowed yourself to think about it too much, you could get so discouraged um, that you you might give up. And I was never going to be about giving up. I mean, I was determined. <laughs> I, there was a steamroller going on in my head mm. <laughs> that I was going to get through this one way or another. If, if it meant changing over to radio, I wasn't sure. Yeah. What, I had started out writing every radio station. I mean, when I was a secretary, I, I literally, I got a hold of one of the, it was a, a book that came out periodically I think it was called Broadcasting Journal or something, but it would list all the <laughs> all the jobs at every station in America, radio and television. And at one point, I think I had written like 60 news directors, radio and TV, and most of them didn't answer, but a couple of them wrote back from radio and said, we don't think women's voices are authoritative in so many words. Yeah. Um, and thank goodness that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're talking with Judy Woodruff. Judy Woodruff has had a 50-year career in news, and she wants to focus next on our deepening political divisions and, and how we as a nation can, can bridge those divisions and, Judy Woodruff has said, can heal. Judy Woodruff is the former anchor for the PBS NewsHour. The upcoming project that I'm talking about is called America at a Crossroads. And you, our listeners, are sharing so much about your admiration, actually, for Judy Woodruff. This listener tweets, my elderly dad now says it's time to watch Judy when he wants to watch a new show. I find this kind of adorable. And another listener writes... Uh, Judy has been my anchor lady of all time, my favorite anchor lady of all time, and I've watched her for many pleasurable and informative years. We'll have more with Judy Woodruff after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Judy Woodruff, who's just stepped down as the anchor of the PBS NewsHour to launch a new project looking at Americans, America's divisions. Judy Woodruff has been there for a lot of moments over her five-decade career, including the attempted assassination on President Ronald Reagan. She moderated the Lloyd Benson-Dan Quayle debate when Benson said famously, you are no Jack Kennedy. 
<laughs> and you, our listeners, are sharing your reflections of the moments that Judy Woodruff has walked you through and also your appreciation of her reporting. Matt writes, my favorite screenshot of Judy was when she was winding up her PBS NewsHour show and sorting the papers on her desk through the frosted glass in the front of her desk. We could see she had kicked off her shoes that were laying on the floor. That was so sweet. It proves she was a real human being and like women everywhere, sometimes wore beautiful shoes <laughs> that were killing her. David writes, I'm deeply grateful for the regular Friday feature during the pandemic in which the lives lost from COVID-19 were memorialized. Ms. Woodruff's restrained but sometimes intense emotions while reading the obituaries were beautiful expressions that I cannot but believe helped our nation. Thank you. And Zoe writes, I just want to thank Judy for the top quality news reporting. I've watched the show for years and can't miss it each evening. Besides NPR, PBS NewsHour has always been my go-to for true news and no bias. I will continue watching and love the two new anchors who were all well-mentored by Judy. Let me go to Michael in Belmont. Hi, Michael. Hi, good morning, uh, Judy. It's uh, wonderful to hear your voice. My wife and I are huge fans. And we wish you all the best success in your new endeavor uh, with the conversation that we've been having about, um, you know, women's role. I'm kind of curious. You were doing a segment called Politics Monday um, with uh, Amy Walters and Tamara Keith. And it was always a nice addition to the Friday discussions that you were having with Jonathan and David. And we haven't seen the segment since you stepped down. Do you know if it will continue? And my second question was, what? where do you think the debt ceiling discussion is going to end up uh, on a practical <laughs> standpoint? Do you think the Republicans will force us off the cliff, or do you think they'll be uh, more uh, moderate and strategic and, and patriotic thinking in the end? Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Oh, my goodness. That, Michael, those are both uh, really good, important questions. And uh, the debt ceiling, my goodness. Um, I'll tackle that second. But uh, with regard to the wonderful uh, Amy Walter and Tamara Keith, who, you're right, were a part of our uh, what was then the, the Politics Monday segment, the program made a decision to, because frankly, they're going to be, they're making some changes in how they approach uh, cover, coverage of politics. And they wanted to experiment with some other other approaches and so that's my understanding of what of what they're doing right now they will continue to have amy on from time to time and tamra or tam as we know her as well thankfully but they are experimenting with some other approaches uh right now and with regard to the debt ceiling i <laughs> wish i could if i had the answer to that i i think there'd be a lot of people uh, knocking on my door right now uh, uh wanting to hear from me i mean honestly i am reading everything i can about it i'm listening and talking to to folks it looks to me as if at least at this moment some of the republicans are determined to uh, to exact something when it comes to spending, uh, in order to go along with this with the debt ceiling, and the Democrats are saying, as you know, absolutely not. So we are at um, you know we, we we are at a moment when uh, there are conversations and serious discussions going on behind the scenes, but we're it's a moment when it's just impossible to predict. I, the people I talk to on the inside don't know where this is going. You know, there are some who say, yes, it'll ultimately get resolved. It'll be very messy and ugly. It will get resolved. And others are saying they can't imagine how. 
So um, it, it is one of those moments in Washington when I think the public looks at the Congress and um, the way things operate and they ask, is this really in the best interest of the country? Um, but it is it is real. It's what's happening. Some members feel it's it's just they need to make this statement because they are so they feel so strongly about uh, about the debt issue. Uh, well, let me go to caller Anand in San Jose next. Hi, Anand. Hi, Nina. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Judy, for all your coverage all these years. And uh, um, I have a bit of exposure for international news and uh, I'm yet to find somebody who could match you in the international scene. Thank you. I have a question about the American divisions and the opinionated news. Did the divisions drive the opinionated news, or is it the other way around? Any view of that, I'll take the response offline. Thank you. Hmm. Did the divisions drive the opinionated news, or is it the other way around? What do you think, Judy? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think there's no doubt in my, I mean, I know there's no doubt in my mind and in the mind of people who've studied this much more than, than I have, um, that the news media, uh, as it's grown up in the last couple of decades with more opinion, not just on cable television uh, and on so-called talk radio, but now, of course, reinforced by um, the, net, the, the online news, online opinion and social media, it's become a very, very opinionated space in our in our American lives, and that that has played a role in exacerbating and increasing our division. It's not the only thing at work. We talked about it briefly earlier in our in the conversation with Mina. I think um, there's a deep, just a deepening, a deepened cultural divide in the country. Certainly, there have always been political divisions, but I think there's no question that our our opinion-driven media have helped make this um, an even uh, more painful divide than it is, or maybe I should say more personal divide. I mean, some people I think are happy with the, uh, you know, with the divide. They think it's it's uh, it's healthy to be having these big big arguments. A lot of people don't think it's healthy. I think it's fair to say most people don't. So we're always going to have debates and division in this country. It's what, thank goodness, we can have these debates in our democracy. We don't get thrown in jail or executed for disagreeing with whoever's in power. Thank goodness we can debate these issues. So we don't want to do away with it. We're never going to have a kumbaya moment where we all hold hands and agree. So some disagreement is healthy, but is it healthy to the extent that, that we see it now in many places? Um, I, I don't think it is, but I'm going to be asking that question as I, as I travel around the country. But it is, it's a good question, you know, because people look at the division and they wonder, is that, is that driving the media or is it the other way around? And my view at this early stage of my, of my work is that it's more the, the, the media driving it. It's not the only thing driving it, but it's playing a central role. Hmm. Let me go to caller Helena in Fremont. Hi, Helena, you're on. Hi, thank you very much. Hi, Judy. First of all, I am so amazed by your career in this area. So I have a 15 years old daughter and she is very interested in the journalism area. She is a founder for her high school journalist club. She's the communication officer of her nonprofit organization. And she's also a contributor to KQED Youth Media. <laughs> so my question for you is, Judy, 
um, as the, um, the student the professional, what's your recommendation for young female students who are interested in the journalist area? Yeah. Like what kind of skill sets you would recommend her to start accumulate so when the time is right and she's ready? Helena, That's thanks. Oh, Helena, hi, and thank you for that question, and 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 hurrah for your daughter for being interested in in journalism and communications uh, at such an early age. That's that's very very affirming to me to hear that. Um, my advice is to uh, just frankly continue to learn as much as she possibly can while she's in school. Take advantage of courses so she can learn history, learn learn uh, literature, learn science, whatever she's interested in, learn as much as she can about, about um, all these issues, I mean, all these, these subjects that matter in our lives, figure out where her greatest interest is, and then and, and when, the, when she has the opportunity, maybe get a part-time job, take a course in journalism, you know, study the media, and, and gradually work her way into it. Maybe she wants to be a reporter for the school newspaper. Maybe when she goes to college, she, um, you said she's 15. Maybe when she goes to college, she can take uh, some courses in journalism. But I, I think if she wants to be a reporter and she may be too young to figure this out, and if she is, no rush. There's plenty of time for her to figure it out. But, but in my view, if you want to be a reporter, the best thing you can do is just read as much as you can, soak up as much information as you can, read books. You know, whether you're interested in philosophy or economics or, or history or, as I say, literature, whatever it is, you know, soak it up when you are in school and you have that fabulous opportunity to learn. And then as you, as you grow uh, older, as you move through your educational um, opportunities, take a course, work at the school paper, uh, work at the, I don't know, your community newspaper, city newspaper, or radio station. You said she's involved with KQED, youth media. That's terrific. Um, those kinds of opportunities are great. And then at some point she'll know, uh, you know, where she wants to focus and, and, you know, that'll be the right time. What do you think is important, though, to understand about the daily practice of journalism? I often find that there are, are a lot of people who love the learning, the current events, the reading. But when it comes to the day to day, there are yeah. certain things you got to love, right, Judy? You do have to love it. You've got to, first of all, writing is really important. Whether you're going into radio, television, print, today, you have to be a good writer. You've got to be able to express yourself. So that's something to focus on in school. I mean, there's no way to know at this point what, what a 15-year-old young woman may choose to do. Maybe she'll end up wanting to be a documentary filmmaker. Maybe she'll want to write um, columns for a newspaper. I mean, there's so many different directions to go in journalism. And, and, and so we can't know this right now. But, but she'll, she'll begin to feel that. And in terms of learning, you're right, Mina. I mean, I never learned. I, I started out learning how to edit film. And then before I knew it, we were into videotape. And then we were into digital. And I was left behind in the dust. I mean, I'm a reporter. At, you know, that's what I, was, what, I, what I did. That was my work. As I said, I never studied journalism. But I never learned how to edit video. And so thank goodness we have really talented people who work with us today who do that work and who know how to make sound uh, really 
like great. You know, like the engineer who's working with you just a few feet away from you in your studio right now, Mina. Um, those folks, we cherish their talents and we couldn't get on the air without them. So there's so many different jobs and roles in in uh, journalism from the technical side to the editorial side. But I think in terms of learning how to do it, that's, it's one way is to volunteer, to get a job at the, whether it's a school radio station or, or um, you know, yeah. as I said, take right. a course in journalism. I don't, I don't encourage everyone to major in journalism and as, as an undergraduate, because I think, I, I just believe that those years are well spent um, studying, you know, whatever subject matter you're interested in and that journalism can come along as a, as an aside. But I know yeah. some people disagree with me. They think it's better to major in it and, and study journalism uh, as a major. I, I tend to think it's, uh, if you want to be a reporter, that you're better off studying, you know, the, the, the field of yeah. interest. I should say fields, plural, of interest and, and then taking courses in journalism and getting those jobs so that when you finally graduate or when you finally get a graduate degree, you can, you know, that's the time to yeah. focus. Right, right. And, and just just the day-to-day of the speed of the profession, yes. the deadline pressures in, in yes. the profession, the things that often yeah. people don't realize they don't like once they're in it. Uh, well, this is rights. I want you to know that after having watched her being inter- interviewed by Andrea Mitchell, I signed up to accomplish my decades-long goal of swimming Alcatraz. It was a fundraiser for hydrocephalus. Thank you for your lifelong service and your inspiration. Uh, Billy and Gary write, we always appreciated Judy's calm manner through these crazy last few years. She'll be deeply missed, but we wish her well in her new project. We are talking with Judy Woodruff, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Ruby writes, I admire her toughness. She holds Democrats and Republicans feet to the fire. On election night when Trump won, I watched journalists' faces go pale and mouths drop. But Judy, you were straight. What were you feeling? Well, I think we, you know, that was a night I remember vividly uh, in 20. 20- 16, um, because, well, for all the reasons we now know, we knew that the the polls were showing the race was tightening. I had not been able to travel much during that year, but I had spent the previous, the weekend, two weekends before the um, uh, election night, I went out and I made a point of, of going to a Hillary Clinton rally in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and then got on a plane and flew to Las Vegas to take part in a Trump rally. I was following their schedules. I wanted to cram in both in the weekend. Whenever I had time, I couldn't travel the weekend right before the election because we were doing what we call rehearsals, where we were busy working on graphics and the rest of it in the studio to make sure our coverage looked smooth. But I did travel and I what I brought away or carried away from those two events was that there was just a whole lot more enthusiasm at that moment for Trump than I had seen for Hillary Clinton. Now, that was hardly representative. There clearly was enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton. As we know, the election was close um, and, 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 it is, and, and not representative at all. But it gave me a sense that there was genuine um, uh, loyalty and, and um, approval of Donald Trump in a way that I had not fully appreciated at all. And so I, ca- I had that in my head that night. And I, so I wasn't, I, I will say I was surprised because the, most of the polls, in fact, even the Trump people <laughs> expected Hillary Clinton to win, they will tell you uh, today. 
that night. And so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't totally uh, shocked because of what I had seen, but I was surprised because I, like everybody else, I was following the polls and it was yet another reminder that we do not always get it right. That we don't, you know, we need to be humble going into every single election. Frankly, we need to be humble going into everything we cover. And I, I, and I try to maintain that, but of course, like everybody else, I'm human. I get, I read the polls. I think, Oh, okay. So that's where people are leaning. Uh, but I try not to. So, you know, that that night, though, was his, you know, I don't have to say it now. It was historic because most people were surprised. Well, this listener tweets after Trump's election and Gwen Ifill's passing, which, of course, was shortly after that election. Judy showed up every night to bring us the news. I will never forget that and how hard it must have been. Judy, what will you miss most about the day to day of anchoring? I think and I've I've been reflecting on this in the in the last days, Mina, it's the people, it's being with them every day. You know, most of us at the news hour are working remotely right now. Most of us are, uh, my colleagues were and still are reporting from home. They're doing their phone calling, their research, their uh, work. The only people who are going in are the anchors and and the correspondents when they're on the air. And then the technical crew, you know, the, the people who do the lighting and the sound, the camera work in the in the studio itself and in the control room, those are the folks uh, I miss a lot. In fact, I've been hearing from them and writing them. And I, and, and and by the way, I'm still going into the studio. I've had to, I'm moving my office uh, down the hall from where it was, so I've been able to see a few people every day. Uh, but I miss those few people who were going in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we're trading notes and so forth. Um, but we're still in COVID mode. We are still yeah. in COVID mode. And I'm well, I know I know how precious, sorry to interrupt you, those few people are. We are just coming up to the end of the show. And Judy, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I loved it, Mina. Thank you so much. What a, what a treat to be with you and KQED and your wonderful audience. Judy Woodruff. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? 
The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.